This is Amber Ray and Rusty Tanton, and you're listening to Mostly ITP on the Georgia Podcast Network, the show focused on all things Atlanta and sometimes elsewhere. generally have a lot of interest in birds and a particular fondness for chickens. We've contemplated keeping chickens in our backyard and wanted to ask some experts about the pros and cons of doing so. Keep listening for some different opinions on this subject as well as a lot of other interesting chicken-related information. We're straying off format a little in this chicken-themed episode and playing three separate interviews in three parts. First, we take a trip down to Fitzgerald, Georgia to talk to Barry Peavy, chairman of the Fitzgerald Wild Chicken Festival, and Winfred Tucker, who runs the Chicken House. Then we wind our way back into the city to interview Stephanie Van Paris, executive director of the Oakhurst Community Gardens. Finally, we finish the show off speaking with the chicken whisperer, Andy Schneider. And the man with the- Fitzgerald, Georgia is an interesting town. It was one of Georgia's first planned cities laid out on a grid. It was built in a spirit of reconciliation after the Civil War and still contains streets named after both Confederate and Union generals. Many architectural styles are on display. And, most relevant to what we're talking about today, an estimated 800 wild Burmese chickens roam the streets downtown. The city holds an annual festival to honor them, which we unfortunately just missed this year. In part one, we discuss the wild chickens, the festival, the city's history, as well as touch upon some of our questions about raising chickens in an urban environment with Barry Peavy and Winfred Tucker. Peavy is Fitzgerald's Director of Tourism and Chairman of the Wild Chicken Festival. Tucker runs the chicken house and can be seen riding around town on his famous mule, the General Lee. The wild chickens were uh, introduced to the, the House Creek of Mulgee River area by the Department of Natural Resources in the hopes of, uh, of them being a game bird along the lines of pheasant or, or quail. Uh, and they, they didn't fare too well out there in the wild, uh, a lot of predators. And, and uh, at some point, the chickens either migrated or were uh, transferred uh, into town, and uh, they have uh, been prolific. And that was the 60s when they... Yeah, that was in the probably mid-60s. Why do you think that they like the downtown so much? Lack of competition. The only thing they've got to worry about is vehicles and uh, red-tailed hawks. And what do the local residents seem to think? Uh, Winfrey, what do you think the residents seem to think? Well, most of the residents love them. And uh, you all think they carry diseases and ticks and fleas and everything they can come up with. But most people love the chickens. That's the reason they're still here. Well, you had some uh, controversy about that a couple yeah, of years ago. Yeah, it was the biggest turnout at uh, city council ever for the wild chickens. Wild chickens, excuse me. <laughs> so what exactly happened there? Fill people in. Uh, there, there was a, a bit of debate uh, for and against the chickens. Like Winford said, there was probably a four or five to one turnout in favor of the chickens. Um, those that didn't like them were very vocal, but not very plentiful. How uh, does the population stay pretty stable, or does it go up and down year to year? Or I, 
I would say there's some flux now, to it. Now, pretty much even because yeah. to kill them off, if you notice around town, there's little chicks everywhere. Mm-hmm. Did you see them? We did. Yeah. And I saw them coming back when there was plenty of chicks. So if something gets them, if a cat gets them, mommy's going to lay some more eggs. Winter, they do it in the wintertime. Two mm-hmm. summer and winter. Yeah. And they lay eggs on top of the houses. Mm-hmm. And like a wood duck, the little chick has to fall off the house to and uh, we, we rescued some off the top of the houses that couldn't get off. Had to call the fire department. The fire department yeah, yeah. That's, that's something maybe sort of different uh, versus the more domesticated oh, chickens. Is uh, the, You were telling me they'll, they'll roost in trees. They'll fly all the way up in trees. They can fly up to, how long did you say? About three uh, Yeah, yards. we've seen several hundred yards um, that they'll fly. And they'll fly at a good altitude, too. They'll, mm-hmm. they'll get up into the top of the tallest pine tree you know, mm-hmm. that we've got around here. What are what are some of the other differences between the sort of domesticated chickens that that maybe other people are more used to seeing and and these wild chickens? Well, they protect each other, mm-hmm. like the rooster protecting and watching out for the hen. He won't eat anything while that hen's uh, out there foraging for food, and uh, and she don't worry about anything as long as that rooster's there, and everything is just just taken care of. And and when they get to a road, they'll fly across that road. They won't fly unless they have to, but when they get to that road, the little chicks and all, as soon as they fly, and mommy takes off, they all go and they get in another hedge to hide. So they protect themselves in two or three different ways. And the the, the chicks will, uh, you know, instead of instead of gathering up in a bunch like you see in a domestic hen house, when you, uh, you know, when you uh, scare them or, or startle them, they'll scatter in six or eight different directions, and the, the mother hen will run off and make a big show of running off she'll she'll flap mm-hmm. her wings and, and and act i guess injured or whatever to try to pull the attention toward her and the chicks will in the meantime scatter they'll get up there and do like i said behind them. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll scatter you know much more i guess uh street smart than you know and around here it literally is street smart um and also you know the the roosters have to compete for you know for mates and you know, we saw riding down the road. We we literally saw a legal cockfight. There was uh, we three. They don't ever hurt each other. No, they don't tie. I told they, them they don't tie. Up I, I've never seen them. They were just chasing one. mostly. They just get out there and bow up, and yeah. finally one of them run the other one off. It's like a singles bar. There's a lot of posture <laughs> and, and, and priming, you know, but there's very little contact. One thing we were talking about earlier before we you know turned the recorder on was uh, sort of the the genetic part of this like aren't they more similar to sort of the original chicken now you know i'm no expert but what we've been told by the poultry science experts and and i've read on the web is um that these chickens they they originated in burma they're Mm -hmm. burmese wild chickens um and the the chickens here the population we have is probably the closest bloodline related to the burmese chickens in asia um, than any population outside of southeast asia um, they've been polluted a little bit, but as you've seen, the, you know, the, you don't have a lot of similarities mm-hmm. to the domestic chickens. But all chickens came from this chicken. Right. All chickens. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, the, the original See, chicken the original was, was Burmese uh, or jungle fowl. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll see specials on them, you know, in, in mm-hmm. uh, Vietnam, Cambodia, you know, that kind of area. Do you think uh, the chickens, have, you, have they seemed to become dependent at all on people feeding them or are they pretty much independent? No, no. no they, there are people who will put feed out for them. Um, I think they would they would rather have uh, roaches, ants, uh, 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 roly-polies than they would scratch feed. Um, but they will eat scratch feed. But no, by and large, they're, they're mostly self-sufficient. 
So it hasn't like increased their population or anything because of people feeding them or no, anything. I don't think so. I, you know, the folks that don't like them would argue. Would otherwise. argue that way, yeah. <laughs> but uh, well, yeah. the pest control part of it, I think that's enough to love them right there. I mean, how <laughs> could anybody be opposed to something that eats? You guys are running roaches, yeah. Roaches got a chance to run a wild chicken. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Wild Chicken Festival. Uh, what's that all about? Wild Chicken Festival started in uh, 2000. Um, we, we turned a, a former rattlesnake roundup into the Wild Chicken Festival. Um, we had some, some urging by the Department of Natural Resources to, to not catch the snakes anymore. And we, uh, you know, we needed to go a different direction with the festival, so it was a, a good opportunity for us to get some support of the DNR. And... Uh, we turned it into the Wild Chicken Festival, and we this year probably had our not probably we had our most successful year ever, probably ten thousand attendees and over a hundred vendors. Um, we've got had participation from uh, local banks, of course, that are probably the core support for our community. Um, but we've also had Alltel and Windstream and other corporate sponsors coming in, and it's uh, it's just a good, fun day. I mean, the chickens are a lot more inclusive and fun than snakes were. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we weren't uh, tree-hugging, granola-crunching as far as the snakes and, and, and all that. We just needed to go a different direction and had some support, and, and we did. Uh, we kind of caught a little heat in that area. But, but maybe a little better PR for the city trying to attract people certainly. to come, you know, a chicken festival. Yeah. Well, and, and really, we got a lot of support from uh, uh, herpetology societies, from... Uh, mm-hmm. I got books from two or three different uh, herpetolog, however you say that, um, <laughs> snake professors um, who sent me books on reptiles and, and mm-hmm. snakes, and uh, so we, you know, we had a lot of support for mm-hmm. ending the rattlesnakes as well. But uh, um, our our main goal was the festival and 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 doing something different with it, and um, you know we were able to do uh, with this thing, you know, tie in a wing eating contest and a crowing contest, an egg eating contest. Um, you know, we've got a wild chicken sprint, 5K. Uh, uh, Masonic Lodge does a, a, a breakfast that morning. There's plenty of eggs and so forth. But There's all kind of directions you can get yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, we the colors are, are lo- a lot more to work with than with snakes. Uh, so uh, we really have sort of put the... But we do keep a tie-in with the snakes. Uh, we always have some sort of a nature show from... Mm-hmm. Uh, we had uh, Okie Finokie Joe last year. Uh, oh, yeah. With his snakes. He came to my elementary yeah. school yeah. back in the day. <laughs> yeah, he's 400 years old. But yeah. Still does a great show. Yeah. Um, but, and we had uh, the parks at Chee Hall did a nature show this year. I think next year we'll probably have Wild Adventures bring some, some reptiles and birds of prey. We've had the bird of prey show from. Uh, so we try to keep that nature element in it uh, and sort of keep tied into the to the history. But, you know, as far as the Roundup goes, that's that's ancient history now. We've. We've turned the corner and then the, the Wild Chicken Festival. We had like briefly discussed like people keeping chickens on their own in town, sort of mm-hmm. like the, the quote unquote getting greener, people growing their own eggs and things like that. Do you have any thoughts on that, like pluses and minuses? You know, like what's, you know, the good and the bad of doing yeah. that? I would say, you know, around here with, you know, of course, us being a rural area, um, there have always been folks with chickens and and always been folks in town with chickens mm-hmm. around here. Um, I would say it's more of a of a lifestyle thing and a, and a personal mm-hmm. uh, passion, I mm-hmm. guess, than it than it would be uh, as far as being green or making mm-hmm. financial sense. Uh, 
you know, there, there's certain uh, benefits to the fertilizer and, and, and for your gardening, and that, that makes sense. And the people I know that do raise chickens, you know, do the whole circle and, and, and use the fertilizer, and they feed the, the chickens. I was amazed to learn that chickens eat uh, watermelon. Mm-hmm. You know, we were we were the friend's house that has chickens, and and uh, you know had watermelon one summer, and just tossed the rinds over into the into mm-hmm. the pen, and uh, you know they they take after. So you know they they're better at eating scraps than mm-hmm. than uh, dogs are, I guess. Yeah. But uh, they'll also eat chicken. Um, but you know, in that sense, I, I think it's good. I I think uh, you know maybe there's a, a movement that's a bit of of a poser effort to getting green as far mm-hmm. as having a few chickens and raising your eggs mm-hmm. and thinking you're self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. Truthfully, you're probably consuming more resources than you're saving. That would be case. my concern with it. I mean, like how much, you know, not just the money of building your coops or whatever else, but I mean, it, it, it's some of these things that folks do, they end up spending more resources trying to do the green solution. Sure. And, you know, it's like they, they sort of take one area and maybe they're doing a little better in one area but they've spent all these other resources i would say you know and and financially uh, and i've done the numbers Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense to get four or five Mm -hmm. hens to lay eggs and Mm -hmm. and, and, you know produce eggs for you because you know eggs are not that expensive Mm -hmm. at the grocery store you'll have too many eggs that's right you gotta feed them Mm -hmm. that's right Mm -hmm. unless you sold eggs you know yeah Mm -hmm. and you've got to feed them and you know whether they're producing or not and you know and whether you need the eggs or not the chickens are there I would say from a green standpoint, if you, you know, if you wanted to do, uh, do right by the environment or whatever, you're a whole lot better off to go to a local farmer's market, you know, and, and buy because uh, I know locally we've got a lot of folks that raise eggs and people bring us eggs, but, uh, you know, in bigger towns, you've got farmer's markets with mm-hmm. local raised Absolutely. Uh, eggs and so forth. And I think that's a whole lot better effort than uh, raising chickens uh, mm-hmm. in the backyard. You know, I think those people that do it, uh, for the most part, though, they do it as a you know, a pet as they would a, a parakeet or a, you know, any other kind of bird. I think it's just a more of that extension than, than the green effort. Mm-hmm. For more information about Fitzgerald, Georgia and its Wild Chicken Festival, visit FitzgeraldGA.org and WildChickenFestival.com. The Oakhurst Community Garden is one of Metro Atlanta's oldest and best examples of an urban community garden. In part two, we speak with its executive director, Stephanie Van Paris, about its history, the chickens kept there, and some of our questions about raising chickens in an urban setting. Alright, so I'm the executive director here at the garden, and I have been working here for about five years. So the Oakhurst Community Garden is a private nonprofit. We're sitting at the corner of Oakview Road in South McDonough. We're just south of Agnes Scott College. And we have been in existence for 12 years. And the garden is part community garden, so we have 34 community plots for people that can come here and grow their own vegetables or flowers, etc. We also have public space, so public green space. So we have a children's area where people can bring their children and lots do. Um, and in that children's area, we have a cob house that's built out of mud, straw, and sand and water that we finished last year. We also have a pond. We have a wooded area. We have other green spaces. Of course, we have the chickens, which are probably the most favorite feature of this garden of any visitor. We have beehives. We have a plant sale. We have classes. So the garden is a community garden. It's also a public green space. And it's a you know, nature center, environmental education center all wrapped into one.
How do the chickens uh, fit into the garden? How long have they been here, and um, how do people interact with them? We've had chickens since the beginning. We've always had chickens. None of them are the original chickens, of course, but we have always had chickens in this garden because they've always been interesting, and they make sense to have in a garden. They eat your compost. For example, they eat your weeds. They eat the bad bugs that you might find, the little grubs in the, in the, in the dirt. They, in turn, give you eggs and they give you fertilizer too. So it's just a nice relationship that one has with chickens. So the way that the community interacts with the chickens is we have a nice uh, coop that's in a central location in the garden, so anybody can come see them. But we have a group called Team Chicken. It's about six or seven <laughs> families mm -hmm. that have been taking care of the chickens for the last three years. And they come every day, twice a day. They give them water, they give them their food, they clean out their stall once a week. Um, various things like that and in exchange they get the eggs that they find whenever they come. So right now we've got about a dozen chickens in there, one rooster, and everybody loves them. The kids give them their scraps and people give them their compost and when the plotters, uh, plot holders weed their beds they bring them their weeds. <laughs> so they are well fed and well tended chickens. Well, how many eggs do they produce? I mean are, are there enough eggs for everybody to have plenty or how does it work? They, a chicken in its prime will produce probably one a day and so if you have chickens that are in their prime you could probably get a dozen a day but that's what you think. I mean I've done it too at my house. I've had 22 chickens you know I was chicken watching once and I thought, oh, these girls are in their prime, I'm gonna get two dozen a day. <laughs> you know, between like the dogs finding them, mm -hmm. the chickens finding them, the chickens hiding them, the chickens deciding not to lay that day, it was too hot. Ends up not quite So being that's that the matter. ideal number, but it's you usually don't hit it. That's right. Okay. Yeah. You get what you need. <laughs> yeah. And then we have these classes for kids that are two and three and four and five year olds. And it's called Wild Things, and in the spring they always have their session where they take care of the chicks, they raise the chicks. Mm -hmm. You know, every week they come and they interact with them a little bit. We really raise the chicks, but the kids yeah. feel like they have a hand in That's it. That's adorable. Yeah, that is and adorable. They love, it. they love it. Well, it's probably one of the only interactions that kids who live in a city have with, you know, animals that are typically thought of as farm animals. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's some folks that are really taking it to heart to connect their children. The families that come here are mostly families that will bring their children with them to help with the coop and to clean it out. So it really is a family interaction thing. And these kids are really getting a unique experience to be able to interact with the animals this way. Not, like you say, not many urban kids get to do that. Do you think that the presence of the chicken coop here at the garden has helped inspire some families to start their own? So we have a class that we offer here called Chicks in the City, and today we just had two classes this morning um, that is going to precede the tour that we're having this afternoon. Which we are going on. Good. <laughs> and those classes are wildly popular. Mm -hmm. I would have to say that when we started teaching that class about four years ago, maybe five years ago, we could barely fill it. Eight people was a full class. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden something turned, like in the last two years, where we have a wait list. Or we have people that are on the first notified list, mm -hmm. about 45 people. Oh, wow. Well, we looked through the window up there, and it was just packed. That's right. There's about 16 people in that class. Mm -hmm. This morning there was 20 people in that class. Wow. And so that's about 20, it's about all we can do 
but we offer that class four or five times a year and it is always full mm -hmm. it's always full and so I can't say that all the people that have chickens in the city came through this class, but mm -hmm. many people mm -hmm. who have chickens in the city of Decatur went through this class. Just ballpark off the top of your head, how many people do you think in the Decatur, Oakhurst area are actually raising their own chickens? Do you have any idea? I have no idea, but a lot. A lot. When we when we put this tour together for, mm -hmm. this, for the today, we were able to find eight coops mm -hmm. within a week, and yeah. then we had people contacting us, can I be on the tour, et cetera, et cetera. And we were already full. So these coops that are on the mm -hmm. tour today are probably within a mile of each other. Mm -hmm. And there are many others that I know of. Mm -hmm. Winona Park, Oakhurst, North, North Decatur. Because mm -hmm. we're allowed to have them here in mm -hmm. Decatur. So we're protected by the ordinances. So that makes people more mm -hmm. open more to having to chickens it. and mm -hmm. protected, I guess, you know. Um, but yeah. Out, out of the folks who raise chickens around here, how many, I mean, not, not an exact number or anything, but ballpark area how, how many do you think are, are doing a more to raise them as pets as more of a passion thing versus well I want to have my own eggs I want to have my own food I know some folks who do it to have pets mm -hmm. there's that there is that urban thing mm -hmm. where they are egg producing mm -hmm. people do it for eggs mm -hmm. but they are pets mm -hmm. they're viewed as you know they're pets and they could mm -hmm. never do anything else to those chickens mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. but there are definitely people who are raising them mm -hmm. for more than just mm -hmm. eggs, and those animals are not their pets. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think one thing that sort of like, I guess I don't want to say concerns me, but but is is I think some folks maybe raise the chickens with the idea, well, I'm going to have less environmental impact by doing this, but it uses a lot of resources to raise your chickens, and it's not necessarily, you know, the most cost-effective way to do it. No. Um, no way. No way. Yeah. You have to, it's just like gardening. I mean, gardening mm -hmm. is a lot of work, and if you were mm -hmm. to actually charge per hour, exactly, it wouldn't pay, mm -hmm. but it's the pleasure, it's the mm -hmm. exercise. I raised, at my house, we raised 20 birds, mm -hmm. and they ended up being broilers. They were given to me, and I didn't realize that they were going to be broilers. Mm -hmm. So these things consumed food. I mean, they mm -hmm. were just like, give me as much as you can. You know, we just <laughs> ate it, and they ate, mm -hmm. and they ate, and they ate, and I was just thinking, wow, it takes a lot of food to get you guys going. <laughs> you know, it really brought home mm -hmm. to me that when we, when those chickens mm -hmm. would come to the table, I mean, we dressed six of them, my husband did, and gave ten of them away to somebody else so they could do that deed. It really made me appreciate how much it takes to raise meat mm -hmm. and, and that none of that meat would be going to waste because mm -hmm. I had to pay, basically. I oh, mean, yeah. right. the amount of energy that it went into those birds, it makes you appreciate what it takes to raise meat in this country. Mm -hmm. And how when you don't do it, you don't realize it, and you're wasteful, you yeah. know, and you eat it every day. Mm -hmm. And if you're a family that has to raise your own meat, let's say chickens, you probably won't eat it every day. You'll mm -hmm. eat it on Sunday because you know how much it takes to raise mm -hmm. those birds. Mm -hmm. It is an investment. It's definitely an investment time. And then with eggs, mm -hmm. going back to eggs, I had some friends that cataloged you know, or figured out how much it costs to raise organic eggs. Mm -hmm. And it really came out to $455 a dozen. Mm -hmm. When you come to you know, the eggs, sometimes they're erratic in their mm -hmm. lane or... Um, the food that you have to buy, mm -hmm. the organic food, is a little bit more mm -hmm. than, than just general food. Mm -hmm. It's about three times as much, you know, twice as much. So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really, but it's just this going out there and getting the freshest egg that you can mm -hmm. with this beautiful orange center mm -hmm. 
and knowing that they didn't just eat that food. They ate mm -hmm. bugs and they ate your weeds. And mm -hmm. for me, I got them about seven years ago because I have kids mm -hmm. and they have a whole bunch of oatmeal that mm -hmm. they don't eat and uh, sandwich edges mm -hmm. and rice and beans and noodles, you know, mm -hmm. like all that stuff that you scrape and put in the food disposal. Mm -hmm. We don't do that. We give it to the chickens right. and they mm -hmm. eat it up. So our chickens get bugs and they get food scraps and they get weeds and they eat, get this food. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can mix it, you can mix stuff in. Mm -hmm. So you would say that there's more to it than just, you know, the bottom line, mm -hmm. like we're going to save money by producing our mm -hmm. own food. There's a whole mm -hmm. satisfaction level that's greater than that. There mm -hmm. is. I mean, I, I don't really see it as saving money. Right. It doesn't really factor mm -hmm. in for me. What it is is a satisfaction. It's knowing that my stuff is not going down the drain. I'm not throwing that food mm -hmm. away. Uh, the weeds, you know, they're getting eaten, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, I know that my eggs aren't coming from wherever they're mm -hmm. coming from. My eggs are fresh, and they're coming mm -hmm. from my backyard. Yeah. And that is really the coolest Ever. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing here. It's the same thing here. These folks, they drive over here, they walk over here. Mm -hmm. It's a real community building mm -hmm. activity to have a coop here that is taken care of by many families. You can find more information about the Oakhurst Community Garden by visiting oakhurstgarden.org. At the forefront of the recent surge of local interest in raising chickens in urban settings is Andy Schneider, known as the Chicken Whisperer, who is our subject for Part 3. He hosts a weekly radio show dedicated to backyard poultry and keeps a busy schedule as an educator. As I wander on by the why do you think people should start their own backyard flocks? Many, many reasons why right now there is a huge chicken movement. It all really falls back to wanting to live a more green lifestyle. It can, uh, backyard poultry, uh, people know where their food's coming from, right from their backyard. They know that it's a less of a carbon footprint. Instead of getting eggs from Maine or Connecticut or Missouri, they're coming right from their backyard. They know what's going in the eggs, so they know what they're putting into their body. Uh, so obviously having chickens for the egg production is number one. Um, also just as having pets, they make great pets, they have great personalities, uh, so people, they also have the pet aspect. Then of course the chicken waste or the chicken manure, great for the compost bin, great for the garden, which also goes into living a more green lifestyle. So now you can have the water barrels and the compost bin, you have the chicken waste for the compost bin, you have your garden, chicken waste for the garden, you have your eggs being produced by the chickens, and then you have the great entertainment of them being pets as well. Mm -hmm. Now, my, I guess the, the one portion of that that I guess I've, I've had questions about mm -hmm. it is the green aspect of it, which is, doesn't it cost a lot of money to like move the feed for the chickens, for example? Like, I mean, isn't there going to be a lot of carbon footprint if, if you have trucks delivering a bunch of feed to, to your local areas and things like that? Does it offset kind of or? It can and it all depends on what kind of eggs mm -hmm. you buy at the store. Mm -hmm. If you go in and buy the cheapest eggs possible at $1.29 a dozen, mm -hmm. then you might break even. But at the same time, if you're breaking even and it's not a financial advantage to having backyard mm -hmm. poultry, um, then you, you, you get a dozen eggs out of your backyard for about a dollar a dozen or less. You purchase eggs at the store for a dollar a dozen. But again, you know where your food's coming from. You know what's going into your body. Mm -hmm. As far as the more, the, the eggs are much more nutritional. And with supplemental feed, you're right. Having all this feed trucked in from across the country 
definitely a carbon footprint. You can raise your own food and your corn and your grain if you want in your backyard. Mm -hmm. So that's a possibility. Based on the size of your backyard, mm -hmm. um, you can just let them free range so they can get grass and bugs and mosquitoes and worms and grubs and all these things. Mm -hmm. So then you wouldn't have to supplement so much with the mm -hmm. store-bought grain. If somebody wanted to raise chickens, like what is, you know, what is the first few things they're going to have to do? What is what kind of preparation they're going to have to put into it right away? The first thing they're going to have to do is we always recommend kind of researching what it takes to have backyard poultry. Mm -hmm. You're going to have, and a lot of times they will have already done that mm -hmm. before they decide, hey, yes, I want them or no, I don't. Mm -hmm. Once they decide, yes, I think this is something I want to do, the very first thing they really need to do is check their local laws. Mm -hmm. uh, some cities welcome backyard poultry, some cities do not. Some now, there's are some issues of that in Roswell. <laughs> there is in Roswell right now an issue yeah. with, uh, with Andrew Wordy's. He's a member of the mm -hmm. Atlanta Pet Chicken Meetup group, and we've supported him through that. Mm -hmm. And so that's a little bit different beast uh, than a, a lot of other cities where they have a clear set rule or law that says no chickens. Mm -hmm. um, and we handle and battle that differently than we are, of course, with Roswell. Um, and so the first thing they need to do is check their local laws to see, number one, if chickens are allowed, what now they have to do, what kind mm -hmm. of parameters are involved mm -hmm. with having to... Um, keep chickens, how far from the neighbor's dwelling, mm -hmm. what kind of uh, uh, chicken house or coop mm -hmm. they, they're required to have, how far that has to be from the property line. So a lot of cities welcome chickens, but they'll have their own parameters mm -hmm. or guidelines. Mm -hmm. Do most people that keep chickens just keep hens or do some keep roosters as well? It's a choice. I would say in the urban setting, most only keep hens. The only reason why you need a rooster is if you really want baby chicks running around. The rooster really has only one job, and that's to fertilize and protect. I guess another question then is, how would someone who's maybe not going to put as many resources and dedicate quite as much of their life to chickens and such, um, how, how would they handle roosters in an urban setting? What might they be able to do to offset all the noise and other yeah, if Aspects. somebody, again, if somebody wants to have a rooster, mm -hmm. that's from what we found, you can technically have mm -hmm. a certified avian vet surgically mm -hmm. make that rooster not crow, mm -hmm. but it borderlines on being inhumane. Mm -hmm. Being able to find a vet, even a certified avian vet, mm -hmm. there's only about 120 in the North American continent mm -hmm. anyway, but to have one that would choose to do that mm -hmm. or decide to do that, very rare. I, I would doubt you would find one that would That's do that. That's sort of an ethical question. And I imagine there is exactly. a subject of much discussion. Absolutely. You know. And so uh, that, that, that's the issue. So really, uh, a lot of people have tried to put them in a small cage where they can't actually uh, stretch their necks. So that limits them being able to crow or crow as loud uh, or crow less mm -hmm. often. But then that kind of levels mm -hmm. on the humane mm -hmm. issue. Part of what you were saying leads into another question. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, I saw a little back and forth on Twitter uh, mm -hmm. between you and someone who had written an article about something about having pet chickens with a risk of salmonella. Was yeah. it something like along those lines? Absolutely. What are some of the misperceptions that people have about keeping chickens? Absolutely. There's the first two that are always the most major. Whenever anybody says, hey, I'm looking at getting some chickens in the backyard, their neighbor or anybody else for that matter is going to say, chickens, well, they're loud and they stink. And so those are the first two main stereotypes that you'll mm -hmm. have. And I always start off by saying, number one, where's the loud issue come from? Well, roosters are loud. 
I'm not getting any roosters. I will not have any roosters. My eggs don't need, my hens mm -hmm. don't need rooster to have eggs. Mm -hmm. So there won't be any roosters in my backyard. Mm -hmm. So forget about being loud. We can debunk that. A hen will cackle a little bit after it lays an egg. It says, hey, I'm proud. Look what I did. <laughs> um, and so they will cackle a little bit immediately after they lay the egg, 15 to 45 seconds, and then they're done, and they bragged about it enough. So the loud issue is moot once people learn that, no, I don't need a rooster to have eggs, and I don't intend on having one. Mm -hmm. The smell issue comes from uh, people, and the only experience they may have with chickens, whether watching TV or riding through a rural area, is that, yes, if you have a 300-foot commercial hen house with a hundred thousand chickens it's gonna stink mm -hmm. bottom line mm -hmm. but there's a far cry difference between a, a, a 300 foot chicken house mm -hmm. commercial house and a small little chicken coop in your backyard mm -hmm. with six to twelve hens mm -hmm. many big 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 difference there most people mm -hmm. can understand that some people cannot it seems like just in the past year or so mm -hmm. And maybe it's just I've been noticing it more, but it seems like there's been such a surge in the interest locally. Absolutely. In fact, right now, there is a national chick shortage. Uh, these major hatcheries, Ideal, for example, Ideal uh, mm -hmm. Poultry, they sell and ship about 5 million chicks per year. If you called them today, uh, they're sold out pretty much through June. We saw a little bit of this last year mm -hmm. where most of the major hatcheries were about six weeks behind on fulfilling orders. They knew this year it was going to be even worse. And now uh, a lot of major hatcheries are selling out through June and even July right now uh, with their baby chicks. In fact, there's a seed shortage too. Uh, Ideal Poultry told me that a lot of their feed and seed stores that they supply baby chicks to across mm -hmm. the country uh, have admitted they're having a hard time getting seeds uh, like your peas and your beans and your tomatoes and, and just see they've seen about a 20 percent 20 percent increase this year in people putting in backyard gardens versus last year and it's probably really mm -hmm. higher than that I, no one's ever mm -hmm. told me if I'm putting sure. in a garden so sure. it's probably much higher than 20 percent mm -hmm. so do you think that this shortage is really directly a result of more people becoming interested and how might that kind of counteract what people are trying to do in trying terms of you know being sort well, of self-sufficient kind of like what i was talking about you know mm -hmm. people raising their own chickens but then are they going to the store to buy feed for the chickens versus right. making their own absolutely yeah the um as far as that's concerned you know mm -hmm. once a lot of people will mm -hmm. you, you will have some people that'll buy a two thousand dollar chicken coop Mm -hmm. Okay, that, that, that you know the same ones that are going to buy an eighty thousand dollar car, mm -hmm. um, but then you'll have some that will go out and buy a sixteen year old Subaru, and then they're going to make their chicken coop out of scrap lumber that they found on the side of the street. So even in the chicken field, if you will, mm -hmm. in this big movement, you'll still have like every other movement, if you will, or a hobby. You'll have those extremes. Right. So I would say the majority are trying to do again to tr not defeat the purpose but trying to do it more of a, a green way trying to build mm -hmm. their own coop finding out ways to build it with what they have already laying around the house mm -hmm. and chickens can be easy um, I think more people are doing that than going out and buying two thousand dollar coops but mm -hmm. there is that market and people are doing mm -hmm. that as well can you uh, talk a little bit about the Atlanta Chicken Meetup uh, and yeah, uh, what yeah. that, what kind of things that group does? Absolutely. It's the Atlanta Pet Chicken Meetup mm -hmm. group. You can visit that at mm -hmm. meetup.com forward slash chickens. And um, 
actually in just a few days, April 28th will be our one year anniversary. Mm -hmm. uh, I started that on April 28th of last year. And as of, I think yesterday, we had about 565 members of the group, very active group. Uh, some have chickens and some don't. Some are looking at having chickens, some just like chickens and haven't really made the plunge yet. Mm -hmm. They still wanna learn about it uh, before they actually make the plunge and get their baby chicks or their chickens for their backyard. And we're very active. Uh, for example, in May, we really have four meetups that we call it. We have a north meetup in the Alpharetta area. We're going to have a south meetup in, uh, down in uh, Noonan. Mm -hmm. We're going to have an inside the perimeter meetup that's probably going to be around uh, Decatur. We're looking at the Piccadilly at Ansley Mall and that type of area for the inside perimeter folks. And then we're going to have a what we call a big event at Stone Mountain Park called Chicken Stock. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, Chicken mm -hmm. Stock 2009. And our intentions a few months ago was to have this nationwide. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, as we got our, living our busy lives and the radio show and everything, it got to be well, maybe regional and now maybe statewide. But we'll just see who actually shows up. We're going to be advertising it here a lot over the next few weeks because mm -hmm. it's coming up Memorial sure. Day weekend. But yeah, Chicken Stock 2009. We may have some guest speakers there. Uh, but let me tell you about the group because this is great uh, for those of you who are listening. Um, I've been involved in a lot of groups. There's always, oh, you know, too many chiefs, not enough Indians, you know, that type of issue. Everybody wants to be, you know. We, this is a great group of people. You walk in, for example, the North, the North Meetup group, uh, we ended up having between 40 and 50 people show up for that group. You walk in and it is absolutely what, you to use the term, uh, a melting pot of people, like they say Atlanta's the melting pot. Well, um, America is a melting pot of all kinds. You walk in and you will have old and young, black and white, skinny and fat, you'll have gay and straight, you'll have, I mean, it's, it's absolutely amazing. One of the things that uh, was brought up when we talked to folks down in Fitzgerald, mm -hmm. Georgia, yeah. where they had wild chicken, absolutely. Um, was, you know, a feeling of, well, maybe some, you know, these people who raise chickens you know, their hearts are in the right place, but what's the other impact, et cetera, et cetera. I think maybe something that, you know, they may not have taken into account was when you live in a larger urban area, it can be harder to find people, meet people to socialize with and just have a sense of community, whereas in a smaller area, everybody you might knows be more everybody. In, close, in closer contact with, with your neighbors. So, you know, the social aspect of this is, is very interesting. Um, you had an event recently where you gave away a lot of baby chicks. A How lot. many? It was it was several hundred. Wasn't it ended it? up being about six hundred mm -hmm. uh, baby chicks that we gave away. Mm -hmm. It was called the Chicken Stimulus mm -hmm. Package, and uh, initially, see people a lot of news media. Mm -hmm. They immediately come with the TV interviews. They'll say, "Isn't this a way just to get back at the city of Roswell?" Well, let me set the record straight. Number one, <laughs> Roswell was not even our first choice mm -hmm. to have the location. Mm -hmm. We wanted to have it. You know, so number mm -hmm. one, hello. Number one. Uh, we wanted to have this event at a feed and seed mm -hmm. store so we were going to have it up in milton mm -hmm. not in, you know not in roswell um, at a feed and seed because they figured they could come get the chicks they could go in and get what they needed to help raise the chicks and whatnot but um that area that it just wasn't a large enough mm -hmm. location so we knew we had a location we could use that happened to be in Roswell. So it wasn't even our first choice. It was actually our second choice to have it at Greenwoods on Green Street. So just to set the record straight, it wasn't even our first choice to have it in Roswell. It had nothing to do with the Battle of Roswell, though it occurred <laughs> in Roswell. It was all about 
promoting backyard poultry, period, living a more self-sustaining lifestyle. Uh, the sponsors of my radio show all donated the chicks. We had about 900 donated. We gave away about 600. Um, I took a, a hundred to the different um, a couple of feeding seeds. I took a hundred to a feeding seed up in um, near Canton, and uh, Farmer D Organics uh, uh, got a few of those as well. And so uh, yeah, so it was we gave away about six hundred baby chicks. Now we knew that we were going to catch a little bit of flack from mm -hmm. the people who's like, well, I, I'm not sure about this. Uh, you know, people get bunnies at Easter and chicks for Easter. I was going to throw that out there too, the other typical mixed yeah. media question, which is no, like, how many of these folks are going to come up and buy a chick and then bring it home and, and let it die? I, no, you're exactly right. Um, um, so let me just kind of tell you what these folks had to do. Okay, number mm -hmm. one, they had to get in a long line. They got in the line. The first table we called our mm -hmm. education table. They got a brochure that talked about everything they needed to do to care for these mm -hmm. chicks. There was a certified avian vet there. Mm -hmm. Again, 120 in the North mm -hmm. American continent helping and answering questions. Okay, and then and so they would read through what all the care was needed, ask the vet any questions, and in this brochure they had many resources, how to start caring for the bird, where to go, feed stores, everything that they were going to need to raise these birds appropriately. The next, and, and after that, okay, do you want to raise these birds? Do you see what's involved? Do you want to do it? Oh yeah, absolutely. The next table, they had to fill out a form that was required by the Georgia Department of Agriculture which basically got their name, address, and phone number, how many chicks they got, and where the chicks were, where mm -hmm. they came from. That was done. Then they actually got to pick out their baby chicks. They got their baby chicks, and they got a free little bag of feed for the chicks in case they couldn't get Easter weekend, in case they couldn't get to the feed store until Monday. Then they had to walk by an area where they could see brooders set up and the ways they could uh, inexpensively set up brooders so they didn't have to think, okay, I'm getting free chicks, but now it's going to cost me $500. Mm -hmm. So they could see different ways <coughs> to set up brooders uh, in, in, in their home to do that. So they actually got more care. And not more care, but they got more uh, education and more uh, um, avenues of education than, than most people do. Even, you know, me and Jen have adopted a dog, mm -hmm. and, and it was like one little form, and bye, see you later. We didn't get any food. We didn't get any vet contacts. Yeah, you go to a pet store, you buy a dog, they give you the dog, and you leave. And, and they take $1,200. $1, take your money, and you And, and you're done. So we gave yeah. them so And once the Humane Society realized mm -hmm. that, they, they didn't have a problem. You can visit Andy on the web at atlantachickenwhisperer.blogspot.com. And that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks to all our guests. Visit freemusicarchive.org to listen to the following songs played in this podcast. Out on the Barge and Stuck on a Hat Check Girl by Al Duvall. Call of the Whip Poor Will by the Stapleton Brothers, and Sheik of Araby by Smokey Hormel. Thanks also to Magnatune.com for Flux by Drop Trio. Thanks for listening to Mostly ITP on the Georgia Podcast Network. Visit us at gapodcastnetwork.com. If you have a question, comment, or drunken rant, leave us a voicemail by calling 678-389-9441. Who knows, it might be featured in a podcast. You can also email us at info at gapodcastnetwork.com.